How important to you is diversity and inclusion in the workplace? The most important thing when you're working on anything with like a team of people is diversity of thought. That's the most important thing. And the only way you're going to do that is make an inclusive community that's open to new ideas. As a small business owner myself, it is so essential for me to have different voices, different backgrounds, unique experiences all coming together to create a stronger company as a whole. It's very important. I think you, you have to really include everybody, no matter who they are, where they're from, what they believe in, because that's really the only way that it can work. This is Time to Act. I'm your host, Yvonne Hutchinson. I'm a diversity and inclusion expert, and through my company, Ready Set, I work with organizations to help them foster a corporate culture that helps to improve a sense of belonging to employees. On this podcast, I'm working with CEO Action for Diversity and Inclusion, the largest coalition of CEOs who've pledged to advance diversity and inclusion in the workplace. Throughout the series, we'll explore and highlight the recent steps companies are taking to tackle DNI, and I'll be talking to leaders of the industry and diving into why they act as ambassadors for change. In this episode, my guest is James Fripp, Yum Brands' Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer. Yum Brands is a global fast dining corporation operating brands such as KFC, Taco Bell, and Pizza Hut. James has been leading DNI efforts at Yum, starting with its global inclusive leadership platform that's helping grow a culture of inclusion among its multinational brands. For context, I spoke with James prior to the emergence of the coronavirus pandemic. James, can you give us a little bit of an introduction to who you are, where you're working? I am the uh, Global Chief Diversity Officer for Yum Brands. I'm based in uh, Plano, Texas, out of our office there. Um, but I bounce around the country and the globe and try to make our organization uh, as diverse as our customer base, especially in the mid-level management up through our C-suite. James, I'm really curious. Since you've started working at Taco Bell, I'm sure there have been many changes to the menu. What is your favorite menu item? Ooh. My favorite menu item at Taco Bell is something that we no longer have. It's called the Enchirito. The Enchirito is a yellow corn shell with beans and meat and onions in the middle. And then you roll it up and you put sauce and cheese and at the time olives on top. So it's a um, a Taco Bell version of the enchilada. I think we need a content warning for uh, folks who may not have eaten lunch before this. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and can you tell us a little bit about your family and upbringing? Sure. I'm one of eight. I'm number five, five girls and uh, my two brothers and myself. And um, my father was in the military. He was in the Air Force. And, um, and if you know anything about the Air Force, he was an enlisted guy. An enlisted guy with eight kids basically means that you're broke. I say that to say we didn't have much at all, um, but what we did have was family. Um, we were very close. So came from a hard, hardworking parent background, a lot of kids, not a lot of money, great work ethic. I want to transition to the workplace and talk about your journey through Taco Bell to where you are today. I think what's so interesting about your story is that you've been with the company for so long and you've kind of worked your way through. So can you talk to me a little bit about what that was like and what your process was to get to where you are now? My sister was working at Taco Bell at the time. And so, you know, you lean on your sister, you say, hey, can you kind of helped me out in getting a job there. And, uh, and I got a job there. Uh, my goal in life was to graduate from high school, go active duty military and follow my father's footsteps. 
Well, when I went to go active in the military after high school, there's this place called Military Entry Processing Station where you go to get your physical and you, and you get ready to go off to the military. And they said, they said, you've been permanently disqualified. I said, for what? They said, because you have eczema, so you can't go active duty military. And so at that point in my life, I had to decide, what are you going to do? And Taco Bell was like, James, we love you. We'd love to have you here. And then I went all in at Taco Bell. And uh, ultimately, I did return to school and I got a degree in business management. Can you talk to me about your first leadership experience while working in the Taco Bell Mm -hmm. store and maybe some of the difficulties and challenges that you faced? The first was when I made that decision to stay with Taco Bell and they were going to promote me to a manager role, hourly manager role. I learned a lot about leadership then. Uh, Yesterday, these folks were my friends that I worked with, and today I'm their boss. And what I learned is the two don't necessarily go together, especially if you don't have the skills to deal with that. And so now I didn't fit with my friends from yesterday, but I also didn't fit with the salaried managers. So I was in that in-between mode, so I didn't fit in either. That was a lesson in leadership around if you don't have the absolute authority all you have left is influence. Can you give me an example of a, or a story that illustrates that lesson that you're talking about? So if we go back to, uh, I'm now responsible for these people in this restaurant and uh, we're really, really busy. So I'm going to exert my leadership skills and I'm going to tell some of yesterday's friends, now today employees that I'm responsible for, um, that they're not doing their job fast enough and they really need to get faster and hurry up. One of them said, who do you think you are? And that's when I said, um, I'm your boss. And they said, well, not anymore. And they walked out. That's when I figured out, okay, this leadership thing is actually fluid. I went back to what I did best, which is work with people, support people where they need to be supported. And once I did both of those things, the shift came together. In fact, folks started to rally around me. So eventually, James worked his way through the ranks from shift leader to a general manager of Taco Bell. As general manager, he was in charge of hiring and training other managers. And being really impressed by James, Taco Bell created an HR role for him on the corporate recruiting side. Can you talk to me a little bit about how you moved from HR into DNI? I went from associate generalist to full-on HR generalist and really started working with other generalists and, and teaching them the craft. And, um, and then our chief diversity officer at the time, um, our director of diversity, my predecessor, she was at an event that I was at as well. And, um, and afterwards she said, you know what, I think I'm gonna have to retire. Would you be interested in this role? And I said, what do you do? And she said, well, you know, I, I make sure that we look good um, for, you know, people looking at our organization and things of that nature. Um, I said, I'd like to learn more. And so she talked to me more about the role itself and talked to me about what she did. And I said, you know what? I would be interested in, in exploring. And so met with our CEO and um, ended up getting the role. I'm curious, um, what were your expectations when you walked into the role and what were some things you wanted to accomplish? Yeah. So um, first and foremost, we had been on the uh, Black Enterprise um, top 40 companies for a diversity list for about six years in a row prior to me getting in the role. And what I struggled with was every time we made the list, people would ask me, who did we pay to get on the list? And I did not want that to be the case for me. My expectation was any awards that we got, our people would be able to say, I know exactly how we got it. I know why we got it. And I'm proud of that. So when I interviewed for the role uh, with our CEO, he said, do you have any questions? I said, I have one question. Are we serious? 
And he said, you know, why you say that? I said, because, you know, we've made this list. Here's what people are saying about that. I don't feel good about that. And he said, we are indeed serious. And James, what we want you to do is we want you to come in and help us get better at this. You know, when he says better um, at the time meant for me, making sure we had more diverse talent in our mid-level management ranks up through our leadership. And so that's the goal. That was what my expectation of the role was. That's what I was looking to do. And, um, and we're still working at it. We've been addressing diversity and inclusion as a science, the data, the numbers. We have to address diversity and inclusion via the fears, the apprehensions, the obstacles. In fact, what I would absolutely do is change the words. What if we called it inclusive leadership? So Young Brands began globally implementing a form of experiential unconscious bias training or inclusive leadership, as James likes to call it. A good, great young lady, her name is Catalina Romero. Uh, she's on our KSC International business. She said, James, what if we rounded out the experience by going to people's homes after being in the session all day and having dinner with our people's uh, families in their homes. And so um, uh, we piloted on the KFC International side, myself and some others. We went to uh, about four or five different homes, about four or five different people. And the feedback has just been phenomenal. And the differentiator is when we go to people's homes, it takes it from being this notion around this work relationship to now this authentic, holistic family relationship. Our leaders see our people differently. One of the reasons why I'm sitting with James is because he's part of CEO Action for Diversity and Inclusion. CEO Action allows organizations to come together and learn from a broad spectrum of people, and it encourages companies to have tough conversations about what's working and what's not when it comes to diversity and inclusion initiatives. What do you think are some of the biggest barriers to building diversity at a larger organization like Yum? Because Yum is huge. One of the biggest challenges, especially early on for me personally, is I have to remember to meet people where they're at, not where I'm at. The other thing I have to tell myself is, do I want to be right or do I want to be effective? Woo, I have to I tell must, myself that every day. Let's talk about that. <laughs> right, let's talk about that. Because, oh my goodness gracious. Um, yes. Um, do I want to be right or do I want to be effective is how I live. Um, because the way that I think we should get there may not be the way that other folks see it. And I have to consider, do I want commitment or do I want compliance? If I want commitment, I need to meet people where they're at. I need to be open to others' I others' ideas. And I need to be the one who's viewed as supporting the organization and where they're going, not the one who is leading the organization by the nose. I want to be effective because if I'm effective, then people will do what I mentioned earlier, which is we don't have to make inclusive leadership mandatory. People will be asking for it. You know, you were saying you have to meet people where they're at. And you know, I say this as a practitioner who's African-American. Sometimes that, that can be a, a little bit hard. So can you tell me about maybe some of the challenges that you face as a, as a leader in that way? It's, it's very difficult because what I've learned about this space is there's very little forgiveness for the DNI professional. 
Um, we're supposed to be the know-it-all. We're supposed to be the one who knows how to make this thing come to life in a way that everybody's on board and everybody's comfortable. The reality of it is not everybody's on board and not everybody's comfortable. And so what I do in terms of meeting people where they're at is I try to assess where the individual is at. I share you know, where we're at, what we're trying to accomplish. I watch body language. I listen for questions. Um, the fact of the matter is, it's been proven through research that diverse teams produce better outcomes. Um, it's been researched and proven that when you have more than two women on a board, the organization performs better. <laughs> and so when people ask you questions, what I listen for is what they mean, not what they are saying. I have to answer the questions that aren't being verbalized. And when I answer the questions that aren't being verbalized, then I become more effective because then people start to ask me what's really on their hearts and minds, which then allows me to address that, which then does what my goal is every day. And one other question I had, which is also, I think, it's not necessarily unique to your context, but I, I think it definitely characterizes your organization, and that's your global presence. I yes. mean, you you can go to Pizza Hut. I, my, I went to Japan when I was 12. The first meal I had was at a Pizza Hut. So Thank you for that. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah, so you could. Uh, my my Japanese family was kind of confused, <laughs> but but you know you see Pizza Hut, Taco Bell, KFC everywhere, all over the globe, and the brand is global. So how do you think about DNI in that global context, and what are some of the challenges there? It's a real interesting challenge in that in every country we're in over 140 countries. DNI means different things, and in some cases, D doesn't even exist. It's more about inclusion. And so what does that look like in that country? So the biggest challenge is to make sure that wherever, whatever country we go into and whenever we're talking about diversity and inclusion in said country, that we're respectful of the country that we were in. We cannot come with a U.S. centric mindset. We have to get insights from the folks who are on the ground and let them lead us in the context of how do we help bring inclusion to life in those countries. That's the biggest issue that we have is making sure that our minds are open to what inclusion and diversity look like in other countries versus coming with our U.S. centric lens. I would really love to hear one of your biggest lessons learned. Like, what is your DNI pro tip? Diversity and inclusion, while the numbers matter, it's about the art, it's about the relationships and the trust. People have gotten jobs, and I'm sure others who are either listening to the cast or, or can relate would say they've seen somebody get a job and they couldn't figure out why the person got the job because they don't seem to have any background and experience in that work. They got the job because the leader trusts them. That trust comes from relationships. Where I see us have the biggest gap in DNI and where somebody won't put their name on somebody who's different than them is because they don't know them. And if they don't know them, they're not going to trust them. And when it comes down to it, who gets the job? Those that I trust, those that I know. We need to build relationships. During my conversation with James, something that stood out to me was our focus on leading inclusively and meeting people where they're at. The phrase that he said, which really struck me, was the idea of commitment versus compliance and how important it was to have people who were committed to the mission. And I don't think this is just the case with DNI. I think that we can look at leadership overall and say that teams are more active, they're more engaged, 
they're more committed when we shift away from compliance and we start building relationships. As we begin to emerge from an incredibly difficult time for companies and their employees, and we see businesses begin to rebuild their teams, I think more organizations could stand to learn from James' example. So often when we think of leadership, we think of a command and control model where we order people to do something and then they execute on our behalf. We now know that that doesn't exactly build a healthy workplace culture. We need to invest in people's learning. We need to listen and we need to approach our teams with humility. And I think this kind of approach to leadership could go a long way in building healthier workplace cultures and really making sure that the people who work for companies that may feel left behind or may not feel like they're part of the mission feel more engaged and feel like they're a part of their organizations. So what did you learn today from James Fripp? And what do you think companies should be doing to build inclusive leadership? Let us know in the comments section. We want to hear from you. We also want to know what you think of the show, so leave us a review. Subscribe to Time to Act for free. You won't want to miss upcoming conversations with people who are leading the charge to improve diversity and inclusion in their companies and across industries. I'm Yvonne Hutchinson. Let's keep the conversation going.